which allows me to then push the average nightly rate for each unit up without having a major hit on occupancy. Because let's say there are three twos and they sleep 10 people each or collectively they sleep 20. Then I'm hitting two different points again on the demand curve. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And Follow-Up Boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The Follow-Up Boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow Up Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Best ever listeners, I'm excited to introduce you to our newest host that we're bringing on to the team. His name is Slocum Reed, along with myself and Ash. Slocum will be providing value to every interview he does. I've known Slocum for years and I've watched his portfolio continue to grow he currently owns and operates 65 units, including converting three units into an office building. So he's an owner-operator. He's coming from certainly a different perspective than I have. I know he's going to bring his expertise and cut through the fluff and get the best real estate investing advice ever for you. So welcome, Slocum Reed. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and I'm here with Joe Riley. Joe is joining us from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He is the founder of Patriot Family Homes, which specializes in short-term housing near military bases. He has over 300 properties, and he was a captain in the Army and served on the National Security Council at the White House. Joe, can you start us off a little more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, so I was in the Army and uh, on a deployment to Afghanistan. My wife and I decided to throw our house up on Airbnb and HomeAway because she traveled for work Monday through Friday, and there was no reason for her to stick around Columbus, Georgia. We're not from there with me being gone. And so instead of trying to take all our stuff out and put it in a shipping container or something, we just left it in the house, rented on Airbnb and HomeAway, realized, no surprise, that there was a big need for furnished temporary housing around military bases with families coming and going all the time. So then came back, started getting some more houses. And then the short version of the story is then it just kind of morphed from there. And we started working with other veterans and folks in the service, a uh, ton of military spouses, 
In fact, it was on another deployment to Ukraine that we started relying on other military spouses to kind of take care of the houses uh, while we were gone. And that's really been the secret to what we've been able to do. Nice. So 300 properties around military bases. Are those still all single families? The vast majority of everything's single family. We do have some small multifamily and we've branched out now. We're no longer just around military bases. We're also in some kind of vacation areas and other markets. So we are in Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Kentucky, Mississippi is kind of our current footprint. Gotcha. So every time there's an SEC football game, you guys are fully booked out, it sounds like. University of South Carolina or University of Georgia or Alabama or whoever else is playing, we have houses in most of those markets. Because we find that yeah. you know many of the same characteristics that make Army bases attractive for short-term rentals also make university towns attractive for those. Joe, tell us about your partnerships. You said that you were working with other veterans. Tell us how your partnerships work. We started out, my wife and I, just kind of having our own houses. And then when we ran out of money, we did a rental arbitrage model where we would go and sign a three or five-year lease on a property and then turn around and sublease it as a short-term rental. And then we had landlords who came to us and said, hey, how are you paying our rent and still making money on top of that? So would you just like to manage for us? So then we started a management company to kind of manage for those types of folks. And we had other service members who wanted to do this, but didn't want to have the hassle of managing the properties themselves. And then from that, we've now morphed into, we work with some larger investors who are looking to buy 50, 100 homes and we go put that to work and spread them out across our market. So partners range from just a single family who has a home. Maybe they're what we call PCSing in the army, moving from one base to the next. Could be just somebody who has a second lake house or beach house. Could also be somebody who's looking to go and, and do this for 10, 20, 40, 50, 100 homes. And we're fully vertically integrated. So we have our own acquisitions team. We have a renovation oversight team that oversees that. We have our own warehouses where we warehouse all the furniture to set up the houses. And then obviously we manage it on an ongoing basis. So we can come from someone who just says, here's an amount of money I want to put to work and we can go do soup to nuts, everything from there. Awesome. So out of those 300 properties, how many do you all own? We have full ownership in about a hundred of them and partial ownership in another 150 and then just pure management on another like 75 or so. Gotcha. Joe, what I'd like to ask about is raising capital for doing short-term rentals. Because the people that I know who do short-term rentals are doing it with all their own capital or they're arbitraging. Like you said, you sign a lease with a landlord to rent the space with permission to sublet it as a short-term rental, which means that your startup cost is significantly lower. But it also means you don't own the asset. You're not building equity or gaining appreciation. You've just got the cash flow. Right. And it's much more of an active business than what most people are looking for from real estate investing. Similarly, people who are looking to invest more passively tend to shy away from short-term rentals because they're looking for something that doesn't have the fluctuations that the short-term rental market is perceived to have. So let me ask, what is it the people who are coming to you looking to buy houses or looking to partner with you in this or just for lack of a better term, hand over their money and let you invest it in 50 to 100 houses at a time. 
what is it that they're looking for and what is it that is attractive to them about investing in short-term rentals? In terms of what's attractive, we tell people we offer hotel-style cap rates with a single-family backstop. So when we approach most of our lenders, we do manage million-dollar beach homes and lake homes, but the preponderance of our portfolio is actually just kind of -of run-of-the-mill single-family homes that you could also run in cash flow as a long-term rental. So one way you get banks comfortable with financing is that you show them that this property could also cash flow as a long-term rental. We think we can juice the returns as a short-term rental. So the bank feels confident. Okay. If they do well, good on them. If they do poorly, then it's still cash flows. So hotel style cap rates, single family backstops. When you say hotel style cap rates, what do you mean? Double digit cap rates. Unlevered cap rates. So what we would say is that we find across our portfolio, you have about a 13% unlevered cap rate. Gotcha. When you say unlevered, what do you mean? If you just went out and bought a $100,000 house, then we would say that your net income at the end of the year would be $13,000, assuming you had no debt on it. Now, obviously. Of course. So then if you add in leverage, that 13,000 goes down, but then you don't have 100,000 in cash sitting in it. A 13 cap is going to sound very exciting, especially with the kind of debt that is available for single family homes. And like you said about the backstops, if there is a dramatic market shift, then single families tend to be easier to sell. And you do have the long-term rental potential in some cases. A 13 cap is pretty impressive, of course. What analysis do you do to determine a market that you're going to go into? So at the broadest level, we want cheap markets with a lot of churn. So sometimes that is secondary and tertiary markets, which is the kind of main place where we play. We also look at blue collar vacation destination sites. So we're not out in the Hamptons, we're in the Poconos. We're not on Destin, we're in Pensacola. We're not in downtown Savannah. We're out in the kind of rural areas outside of Savannah, right? So Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, that's what we're looking for. Cheap markets with a lot of churn. And then when we look at an individual house, we target a minimum of 25% of the asset value and annual revenue. So a $200,000 house, we'd want to generate $50,000 a year in top line revenue. And when you back out your net operating income is typically about 40% of that inclusive of our management fee. The expenses are only 40%? 60%. So your gotcha. net operating income would be about 40% of the top line. Gotcha. So it sounds like you're all over the Southeast possibly because you've talked about Georgia and you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Why is it that you're focused in the Southeast? Is it just geographic proximity and that makes things more efficient? Yeah. So obviously a big piece of it is proximity that we started our first market in Georgia and then we were in Alabama and Tennessee and we've just kind of spread from there because this is an incredibly operationally intensive business. You think managing long-term single family rentals is operationally intensive? We turn our houses on average six times a month. So if you're doing 70 turns a year compared to one turn a year, and then in addition to basic maintenance, you're having to worry about linen and soap and shampoo and toilet paper and cleaning every turn. So it's a very operationally intensive business. And we tell people short-term rentals are easy on the pocketbook, hard on your emotions. And the biggest reason we see people not succeed in short-term rentals One, they become too emotionally attached and that leads them to just have a lot of stress and take it personally when people say bad things about their home. And also then they turn around and they spend way more than they should on furnishings and finishings and everything else, which is relevant in some kind of prime markets 
for prime properties, but for what we do, we call ourselves the Walmart of short-term rentals. So we're just offering consistent, good quality, but not premium, not luxury accommodations for traveling groups of workers, electricians, plumbers, families on the move, military families. Again, we're not the Saks Fifth Avenue, we're the Walmarts. Gotcha. So a little bit of background on me, Joe. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm a buy and hold guy, landlord, long-term rental. I tried Airbnb for a while. I say tried. I had at most three units at once. Superhost, over 200 reviews. I had some success. My issues were operational. I didn't have the scale to leverage or delegate the majority of the responsibilities within Airbnb with only three doors. And I would at least like to say that it wasn't for emotional reasons that I decided to get out of Airbnb. It was because I saw my portfolio, my goals heading in another direction. But I am certain, Joe, that there are people who are listening to this episode who have flirted with Airbnb, gotten in, gotten stressed, whether it's because they're too emotional or because of the operational difficulties of the short-term rental space, they've gotten in, they've gotten stressed, they've gotten out like I did. Mm-hmm. And I think my biggest issue was scale. Three doors was a terrible number to have. I want to ask two questions at the same time, Joe. Someone like me who wants to get into this and wants to be able to delegate the majority of responsibilities, I don't want to be the one who has to go through it during every turn. I want to know that I have a cleaner who's reliable. I want to know that I have someone else sending the vast majority of messages, responding to the vast majority of inquiries and doing the legwork that's required to set nightly, weekly, monthly rates along with the software platforms that are available. How much revenue do I need to have in order to get to that point where I can hire out the majority of the day-to-day operations for short-term rentals? How many units do I need? And another way to ask basically the same question, Joe, how many units do you need to bring on to enter a new market and have the same infrastructure and efficiency that you have where you're operating already? So for us to enter a new market, we would want five with a pathway to 10 is what we would be looking for if we were going to do full service. Now, we also offer a digital only package. So let's say you had your three doors in Cincinnati and you were like, I've got a cleaner, but I don't want to make sure the cleaner gets all the automations to go there. And I don't want to answer the guests questions before they arrive. And I don't want to do the pricing and I don't want to have to put together a software that pushes me to Airbnb, VRBO, booking.com and integrates all of the backend stuff. I don't want to do all that, but I've got good maintenance people on the ground and I've got a cleaner then we could do a digital only package for you. And we can do a digital only package anywhere and you don't have to have scale or volume. For us to come in and put up a full service operation, then it's five with a pathway to 10 is typically what we tell people. Does that answer your question? It does. And that number surprises me, Joe. Five with a pathway to 10 seems low. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. What's holding you back from getting into apartment building deals? Is it knowledge, fear, inability to take action, lack of support? If it's any of these things, then I suggest you consider Deal Maker Mentoring with Michael Blanc. Michael's program is the most effective program to help you syndicate your first apartment building deal. 
During dealmaker mentoring, you'll work directly with one of Michael's experienced mentors who have successfully replaced their income with apartment buildings. They've already done what you want to do, which is become financially free. So in addition to providing their own syndication experience, they've been trained in Michael's unique dealmaker blueprint designed to help you do your first deal and become financially free just like them in the next one to three years. To find out more, text the word Joe to 66866. I know Michael's going to get you to where you'd like to be. Again, text the word Joe to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Now you have much more experience in this space than I do, of course, although I was a super host, a couple hundred reviews. So I have some experience. My units were studio apartments in a walkable downtown. The vast majority of stories that you hear about Airbnb are people who are getting larger spaces, multiple bedrooms. You said single family homes. So with that five with a pathway to 10, how much revenue is that, that you're looking to have when you start in a new market? To be clear, you know, at five or less, what we would do is we would find a local cleaner who does a good job and we would sub out the cleaning. And then we would have a maintenance person that we have on retainer that we can call out. And that's why we say we're the Walmart, not the Saks Fifth Avenue, right? So if you want white glove service and fresh cookies in the house when the guests show up, that we're not going to do that even with 30 houses. And that's how we operate. And, and our view is, I know you said super host status. So we do have some profiles. We segment out profiles into premium, intermediate, and budget properties. And we find that actually often our budget properties are the best return on investment for the asset owner. So the analogy I give is I can have a $100,000 house in a transitioning neighborhood that will generate $36,000 a year pretty consistently, or I can have a $300,000 house that'll make $70,000 a year, $75,000 a year, or I can have a million dollar house that'll make $100,000 a year. So in many instances for the asset owner, selfishly from the management company, we like to manage the million dollar home, right? Because if you can take 30% and oftentimes in vacation markets, the owners are price insensitive, right? They didn't buy the house for an investment. They bought the house because they wanted to go there on vacation. So anything that makes some money is better than their alternative. So they're the ones carrying the million and a half dollar cost, but then that house turns around and makes $150,000 a year. And the management company takes 35, 40% of that because again, the owner is relatively price insensitive. So selfishly from a management company, those are the houses you love to manage, right? 
What's harder is to manage the standard three, two in a transitioning neighborhood that makes 36 or $40,000 a year. Right. Of course we do that. But the difference is there's not someone meeting the guest to check them in and there's not a bottle of wine and cookies. So that's what we have to talk with owners about is, is if you want to have only five-star reviews, then we can do that. But that's at a different price point, both in terms of the asset and in terms of the management fee to be able to manage that. But our view, and this is what we've done with our own properties, is that, again, from an asset owning standpoint, we find that the best return on investment is more of those kind of Walmart style properties. And more specifically, we find that the two best types of assets are either small multifamily or large houses and urban cores. And small multifamily, we would break into like duplexes, quadplexes, something like that. Because let's say I have a duplex. I don't have two listings. I have three listings. And that's really important. I have unit A, unit B, or the two together. And that allows me to touch multiple points on the demand curve, which allows me to then push the average nightly rate for each unit up without having a major hit on occupancy. Because let's say they're three twos and they sleep 10 people each, or collectively they sleep 20 then I'm hitting two different points again on the demand curve. And then the other types of assets that we find that do really well, maybe they used to be student accommodation, college rentals. So they're big houses and urban cores because ultimately what Airbnb is from a value play at the macro level is a volume counterweight to a hotel room, right? If you go stay in a Marriott hotel room, you're going to get a Marriott experience, but that's, you're going to pay 250 or whatever it is a night for one room versus getting six where you start to get those really big cost savings from a renter is if you're renting a four or five bedroom house in an urban core. And that's where that arbitrage opportunity is there. And then the other thing that does really well is anything that's got a mother-in-law suite or a casita in the back or something like that, because then you can rent out the mother-in-law suite or the casita to a traveling nurse or somebody who needs it. And then you've got the main house that's generating the bulk of the revenue, or people can rent out the two together. For example, if you came to us and said, hey, I've got five houses in Cincinnati that I'd like for you to manage, I'd say, absolutely. We can do it digital or we can do it full service. Our full service would not be us putting a W-2 person on the ground. It would be us going and finding a 1099 cleaner and a 1099 maintenance person and paying them a retainer in addition to the cleaning fee or the service call to kind of come out and manage that stuff on the ground for us. Which means the guests would probably, frankly, not receive the same level of service as when you managed it yourself because you were much more personally involved and there's a much more personal relationship that the guest receives versus us, which has a larger, more of a kind of management company corporate style experience. But again, our view is with the pricing, we also work with a lot with insurance companies. We have a lot of direct partnerships. So around 30% of our revenue comes off platform, which is a huge benefit. Tell me a little bit more about that, Joe. 30% of your revenue comes off platform. Let's dive into that a little further. So we're a preferred vendor for a lot of the insurance booking companies. So let's say your house burns down, tornado, water damage, whatever have you. Gotcha the insurance company has to put you up. So those are really nice, juicy two month, three month, six month long bookings that we're able to get. Then we work with a lot of different corporate housing groups, more generally conceived. And then we have a really good program. Let's say someone stays with us. Anytime someone stays with us for five days or more, we do an outreach and ask them why they're coming. Because a lot of the time that's like a group of traveling contractors 
and they're coming back next week and the next week. So then we allow them to go direct with us. They save money. It's better for us as well. So our strength is really in that kind of digital package that you get of pricing, pushing out across all the different platforms, off-channel stuff, and then the efficiency at which we manage turns with our 1099 vendors. Frankly, we run markets of 25 houses with not a single W-2 person on the ground. That's awesome. Joe, a couple of questions before we transition into the final phase of this episode. Have you entered a market and then decided to leave? Yes. Okay. Tell us about that. You go into a market, you try it out. It didn't pan out or didn't meet expectations and you decided to step away from the market. Can you tell us what market that was and how that went down? Yeah. So the most recent one would be Athens, Georgia, which we're actually now going back. College town. We left and now we're coming back. (laughs) So we went into Athens at the worst time, which was February of 2020 is when we closed on our Uh, first homes. So all of that- And you purchased them. That wasn't arbitrage. We bought them. And we basically then pivoted to some more kind of long-term rental stuff. And then we've brought them back to short-term rentals and they've done really well. So it's not a full left the market, but we had to pivot focus because that whole market was wrapped up in university traffic, which all shut down for 2020 and COVID. And then we had to kind of push through those longer-term leases and now we're transitioning back. So that's the main one that we've kind of gone into and had to leave. This is not me trying to blow smoke. I tell people nine times out of 10, if you have a standard home in an area that has a metro population above 100,000, I've rarely seen an instance in which you don't make more money as a short-term rental than you do as a long-term rental. So we've had to turn loose some of our leases. And the arbitrage business is the biggest one where it's great if it does really well, but you can have thin margins. And so we don't arbitrage anymore on small units because there's just not the margin. Again, if we go back to what is the arbitrage of short-term rental, it is a volume play vis-a-vis hotels. So if you have a small unit, you're not taking as much advantage of the difference. Let's take Birmingham, Alabama. I can get a $1,000 a month rental and then make $3,500 a short-term rental. I can go get an $1,800 a month or $2,000 a month rental and make $7,000 a month. So now I've taken that $2,500 spread up to almost $5,000. Or I can go get a $3,200 a month rental and I can get $11,500 on average, where now I've got an $8,000 spread. So as you go up to those bigger properties, because no one's going to pay $8,000 a month in rent, you cap out on the long-term rents for some of these bigger, nicer houses, because people who can afford that are either going to move out into the suburbs that have better school districts, or they're going to buy the house. So when we found the arbitrage to not work, it's on smaller properties that are not as premium location. Because they have slimmer margins. Right. What is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome thus far in getting your portfolio to where it is? Accounting. Accounting. Accounting is the name of the game in this business. And if you just have one unit, you don't really fully internalize that. But at 300 plus close to now 350 units spread across a mix of arbitraged, owned, fractionally owned, and managed. The different lodging and occupancy taxes in every spot. There's just like every time you turn around, how does the pet fee get split? All of those things that seem relatively simple when you have one or two or three properties, 
and is even somewhat simple if you manage in one market. Well, Joe, let me ask, what is it that you have to do to be able to handle the accounting for your short-term rental portfolio? So we've had to leave QuickBooks and go to Sage Intact to allow multi-entity accounting. We have a pretty robust in-house team, and then we have an outsourced... How big is your in-house team for just specific to accounting for 300 plus? Five people. Five people to do the accounting for 300 plus units. Plus an outsourced team. Plus an outsourced team. Wow. That's a lot for sure. At the end of the day, though, you're still talking about a 13 cap on average across the portfolio. So high intensity operations, high intensity business plan, but also high intensity returns. Joe, are you ready for our best ever lightning round? Let's do it. What is the best ever book you recently read? The Politics of Diplomacy about Jim Baker. Okay. Not relevant to real estate at all, but I'm a big fan of Jim Baker. Joe, what's your best ever way to give back? We've been working a lot with Afghan refugees to house them in these units as they're waiting for more permanent housing. What is your best ever advice? Love your tenants and never sell. And where can people get in touch with you? They can go to info at patriotfamilyhomes.com as an email, or you can send me an email to joseph at patriotfamilyhomes.com. Best ever listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've gotten value from this episode, please subscribe to our podcast, leave us a five-star review, and please share this episode with a friend so that they can get value from our podcast too. Thank you and have a best ever day.